So we're going to continue. So about five or six weeks ago, we started a four-part sermon series. We got through half of that sermon series called Blessed, Broken, and Given. And so in this uh, series, today we're going to be in part three. In this series, we, we started out in this series talking about our lives as if our lives were bread in the hands of Jesus. And how it was hard to imagine how our ordinary and seemingly common lives could be blessed and sacred and holy. It's hard to imagine that. But as we talked about in the previous weeks, that's exactly what our life is in the hands of Jesus. See, to be blessed, we learned in our last talk, is to have our identities recovered, to have our identities restored, to become who God wants you, singular, and you, plural, who God wants and intends you to be. And that's the carrier of his grace and the bearer of his image. But I have a quick story to tell you guys. Is anybody here a junk collector? <laughs> Most of you will not thank you. Thank you for admitting that, <laughs> brother. Most of you, Joel in the back. Most of you won't admit it, but I bet you, and this men, this is most of you, okay? I bet you, most of you have a garage or a shed or a storage room that is full of stuff. Full of, you name it, it's piles, even maybe a basement, full of tools or furniture or you name it, lawn equipment, all kinds of stuff that at one point were really shiny and brand new. But now they're broken and scratched and torn, missing a knob, missing a handle, missing you name it. And it's probably on your to-do list, like, I'll get to it. I'll fix it soon. I just got to talk to the right person, find the right YouTube video, get the right part, and I'm going to fix it. I swear, honey, I'm going to fix it. (laughs) But you know what? It hasn't gotten fixed yet. And it probably never will get fixed. I'm going to give you a real good example of what I mean. Anybody know what this is? If you can't see it up top, this is a heel to a shoe. This is a heel to one of my shoes. So funny story behind this heel. So I travel throughout the tri-state area supporting hospitals in their uh, nurse call bell system. And so I was touring a hospital and uh, doing a site survey, and I have a tendency, and if you happen to look at this heel, I have a tendency of driving my heels from my military days. And so I was walking down, and I was just walking with a purpose, and I drove the heel, and boop, off it goes, down the hall. And so I walked and got the heel, and picked up the heel along with my pride, because I was walking with a group of people. So, I, um, it's this shoe right here. It's dusty and dirty. I haven't worn it in a year and a half. That's how long I've had this. And I keep saying, I'm going to fix it. Honey, how many times have I said this? Babe, I just need some glue. I got my clamps in the shed. If I get, I need some shoe nails, I can fix this, honey. It's been a year and a half. 
This will very likely never get fixed, and thank you for convicting me. I'm probably going to throw this away later. What's the point of all that? Because I'm going to probably throw those shoes away. I'm no shoe guy. I can't fix a shoe. And I probably, it's, it'll probably cost me less to buy a new pair than to get it fixed. But that's usually what happens to broken things, right? We discard and we throw away broken things. We purge them from our life like there's no use for these broken things any longer. That's actually what I want to talk to you guys about today. Again, this is part three in our series, Blessed, Broken, and Given, and I want to focus on that word broken today. Now, in this word broken, there's several ways that we can describe this word. The first and most common way that we describe this word broken is a way to describe our frailty. It's a a way that we describe us coming up short, us missing the mark, us somehow failing to do what is required of us in a particular situation or in a particular relationship. And we come face to face with our brokenness. But that's not the kind of brokenness that I want to talk to you about today. The second kind of brokenness that we find is the brokenness or that we describe as the brokenness of our failures. Now, in this one, we're really missing the mark. We're really coming up short on this one. And, and in, in this particular situation, um, we just don't know what to do with ourselves. We find ourselves so lost in our failures and we find ourselves running in circles over and over and over again. And the third is the failure that we describe in the fallen world, the, the, the brokenness, rather, of the, of the fallen world. Now, this one's a little more difficult because this one happens to a lot of us and we don't even think about it. This is when death happens, when it occurs, when tragedy strikes. This isn't brokenness that we cause, but this is the brokenness that the world, the the fallenness of the world creates. This is when the world in creation is groaning. It's creaking, it's cracking, and to be honest with you, it seems like the world's just coming apart at the seams. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about today. These are the signs the brokenness of the world. And I want to take some time today to focus on the brokenness of our failures and the brokenness of the fallen world today. But what can Jesus do with all of this brokenness? I remember I told you guys, we were examining our life as if it was bread in the hands of Jesus. And so what can Jesus do? See, like bread, when you break bread, and listen, we love bread, I don't know about you guys, but Rose and I can eat a loaf of bread like it's nobody's business, okay? (laughs) But when you break bread, if you leave it out, what happens? It goes stale. And once it goes stale, does anyone like stale bread? Probably not, right? And so stale bread doesn't seem to have any usefulness. And so the question is, Do you, when you're broken, like the bread, do you lose your usefulness? Do you become stale 
and useless as a result of your brokenness? Or does Jesus receive your brokenness into his hands? Let's look at a quick quick scripture from Luke. Remember, we're in the book of Luke. We're examining the text in the gospel of Luke. From Luke 22, verse 19. If you want to turn there really quickly, you're more than welcome to do so. Uh, I'm actually reading from the uh, CEB. Again, Luke 22, verse 19. I'll give you just a second to turn there. Again, 2219, again, I'm reading from the CEB. Whatever you have is just fine. It'll get us to the same place. It says, after taking the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. This is the second time in the Gospel of Luke that we see this blessed, broken, and given story. This is the second time Jesus takes bread into his hands, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. Now, let me give you the background, because the background is important. In this text, we are in the season of Passover. No, see, this is the feast. Again, the contextual background is important for you guys to grab this today. Bear with me. I'm going to get you there. But this is the feast where, God, where we commemorate God's rescue of Israel from Egypt. God judging and casting judgment upon evil. In short, Passover is the season where God deals with sin and evil. And so God delivered his people by doing what? God providing a covering of blood over their sins. And this makes it perfect. This passage is perfect in place of what we're talking about today, about Jesus and what he does with our brokenness. Now, bear with me. Let's talk about, again, our brokenness of our failure for a moment. So unlike the the ancient priests and gods and religions of antiquity, the God of Israel, our God, provided a sacrifice that was specific and did specific work for the removal of our guilt and our shame. No other religion in antiquity did such a thing. So in the most dramatic fashion, in Israel's form of worship, there came one day a year, in the Day of Atonement, where this would take place. Now, it may seem like something of yesterday, but on that very special day, the high priest would first provide an offering or offer, or offer up a sacrifice to first cleanse himself. The priest would then take two goats. Now pay attention, I'm getting you there. There's a point to all this, so stay with me. The priest would then take two goats, the first of which the priest would lay his hands on this first goat, imparting all of the sins of the nation. The priest would then take this goat and lead this goat out into the wilderness. Are y'all catching this? Are y'all seeing what's happening here? This goat was taking all of the blame of the nation away. And then he would take goat number two. He would sacrifice this goat, take the blood of this goat that was sacrificed, and sprinkle the blood of this goat on the mercy seat, on the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy 
of holies. This goat took the punishment. Now, what's beautiful about this act that was performed is that it's a picture, it's almost an enacted parable of God removing the guilt and the sins from his people. God spared us in these acts symbolically from his judgment. Now, these elaborate acts, this symbolic worship that was performed was found only in the religion of the Israelites. This was a God who removed all the sin, all the guilt, all of the shame from his people. See, in the brokenness of our sins, we find that blessing of the removal of our guilt. All the stuff, all the goats, all the priests, all the, all the sacrifices, all of the temples, all of that was just a foreshadowing, guys, of what was to come. Because there was one priest, only one, there was one priest who was also the sacrifice, he was also the temple. He was so great, guys. This high priest was so great that he summed up in himself all of the three components of this Israelite religion. And in doing so, he brought into its fulfillment, to its culmination, to its closure, all that those symbols represented. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Jesus, the true temple. Now, Pastor Gertie talked a little bit about Hebrews last week, and, and in Hebrews, actually the writer of Hebrews was so excited about the, all of these symbols, all of these elements of this Israelite worship being fulfilled in this high priest, in Jesus, that he could not contain himself. And like any good preacher, he actually posed a rhetorical question in Hebrews that he was hoping to get an amen out of. Let me read you the passage. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 and 14 says, If the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of, of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who, the, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciousness from dead works so that we can serve the living God? Thank you, Lord. I was going to ask, can I get an amen? But somebody beat me to it. Praise God. Amen. You know, there's also, um, there's actually a blessing. There's a, a prayer in the Old Testament that the high priest would actually say over God's people. Uh, our dear brother, Pastor Jim DiBiase. Where are you, brother? There you are. Um, I love Jim for this because Jim actually recites this prayer over the church every time he presents. And I love this. And maybe you just thought he was just saying a repetitious prayer and you didn't know where it was coming from. And if that's the case, it's actually found in Numbers. It's in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. And I'm going to read it for you. Again, Jim says this verbatim every time he presents, and I love it. But I'll read it for you. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26 says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You know, this actually came, the Lord actually spoke these words. 
the Lord actually gave these words to Moses and Aaron for them to speak over the people so that they would be blessed. Read it for yourself. So it is only because of Jesus, you got to pay attention to this, you got to catch this, it's only because of Jesus that every word in this blessing, in this prayer, is now something that is true and belongs to every single person in the hands of Christ today. It's no longer a petition. See, if you read in the context, it was really somewhat of a petition that was being prayed. But see, this prayer is no longer a petition for us as believers. This prayer is now a proclamation. I want you to hear it over you today. I'll read it again. I'm gonna, I want you to, I'm gonna read it over you. The Lord blesses you. Remember, it's a proclamation now because of Jesus. The Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord is smiling on you. The Lord is turned towards you, and the Lord gives you peace. See, Jesus, guys, he takes our brokenness of our sins, and he gives us peace. But what about the brokenness of the world? And that's a hard one. How does Jesus deal with the brokenness of the world? Because the reality of it is, some of our lives are broken right now because of the brokenness of the world. So I want to take some time to talk to you about that. There's a passage in John 11. John 11, actually starting in verse 17. I won't read it uh, because I could probably read the rest of the chapter but I won't read it. You can check it out. It's about the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. Please read it in your own time. But in this story, Jesus was off doing his amazing work, and a report came to him that Lazarus was not well. And Jesus didn't come. And Lazarus died. And so that's kind of where we're picking up here. Lazarus is gone. He has passed And now we have Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, who are now mourning over the loss of their brother, and they're asking questions. They ask Jesus the very question that I think haunts us in our suffering. They ask Jesus. In verse 21, again, read it for yourself. In verse 21, it says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is the very question, guys, that every single one of us asks when, listen, our pain is disconnected from justice. Every time we're suffering, not as a result of our own guilt, when we're suffering not as a result of anything that we've done, but we're suffering as a result of the fallenness of the world. God, couldn't you have prevented this? Couldn't you have stopped this? Couldn't you have healed them? God, couldn't you have? When we're suffering needlessly, when our pain seems pointless, when it seems random, even worse, when it seems like we're appealing to the God of mercy and the God of justice, that we see this appeal throughout all of Scripture, and it seems like we're not getting any answers. 
Pastor Ryan gave a sermon August 25th of this past year. How long? Psalms 13. Ryan, it was an amazing sermon. You blessed me. How long? If you haven't heard it, go to our podcast August 25th. You'll hear, you'll see Ryan's sermon recorded there. You have to check it out if you haven't heard it. But we asked that question, Lord, how long, Lord? We asked the question, why do the righteous suffer, God? In the case of Lazarus, we read in verse 36, the Jews responded, and they responded in an interesting way. They said, see how much Jesus loved him? And then right next to that verse, you'll see, He healed the eyes of the man born blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus loved his dear friend, so why did Lazarus die? This is the brokenness of the world. Lazarus wasn't an enemy of God. Lazarus wasn't a wicked man from what we read in the accounts of the gospel. So this must have caused Mary and Martha to wonder. Just like sometimes it causes you to wonder. And we wonder, is there no justice in the world? Does God not have any compassion? But you know what? What we often hope for is for a God of prevention. We're looking for a God of prevention. And in in the face of the brokenness of the world, the reality of it is, guys, we just want to be spared. Is there anyone here that doesn't want to be spared? I don't see a single hand raised because we all want to be spared. None of us want to be exposed and bent to the brokenness of the world. We don't want to be twisted and mangled and all of that that comes with the brokenness of the world. None of us want it. But it happens. This is the groaning of the pains of the fallen world. But Jesus even taught us to pray that we be spared the great time of trouble and testing, the great time of trial. He prayed that we be spared those things. Yet for some reason, guys, beyond our grasp, beyond our understanding, God chooses not to major in prevention. We have a hard time with that. Yet God opts for something so much better. God opts for something that he knows is stronger than prevention. God opts for redemption. God wants us to be, not prevent all these things from happening, but God says, I'm going to do something much better. I'm going to redeem you. And we see it in this story here of Lazarus. So listen, we we often call the experience of Lazarus a resurrection, but that's not quite right. Yes, Lazarus was raised from the dead, and yes, I'm sure he was really happy about that, but it was more accurately described as a resuscitation. You see, he wasn't raised in the same way that Jesus was. He wasn't raised with his perfect and glorified body. Lazarus wasn't raised that way. But don't get me wrong. I'm sure he was grateful. I'm sure he got up and was like, thank you. I appreciate it, Lord. He wasn't complaining that it wasn't his glorified body. He was just glad to be alive. But see, this resurrection that we see here is what awaits every single one of us who are in Christ Jesus. 
The resurrection of Lazarus and this experience was simply a sign of the great resurrection that was to come. It's a clue of what God is going to do for the fallenness and the brokenness of the world. See, resurrection doesn't tiptoe around death. It's not tap dancing around it. See, resurrection breaks the power of death completely. Somebody should have said amen. (laughs) All right. Resurrection actually reverses and undoes what death tried to do. See, that's the power of redemption. To be redeemed is so much more powerful. Listen, if, if, you, if I put you to sleep, if you haven't heard anything else yet I've said, I want you to pay attention to this. That just as resurrection is stronger than death, so is redemption more powerful than prevention. Redemption is more powerful than prevention. Let me give you a couple of illustrations of what I mean. Any painters in the room? No painters? No? No wannabe artists? Okay. All right. If there were, you'd get this a little better. But imagine um, someone, a painter, an artist, painting a mural. Just painting on a beautiful surface canvas, doing their, performing their best work that they've ever done. And it's just, it's an exquisite piece of artwork. You know, it takes some kind of bravery for that person to leave their artwork exposed to the world, because if you paint a mural on a city street, what's likely to happen to it? It's probably going to get tagged, right? But think about this for a moment. This painter leaves their artwork uh, just unprotected, and think about the power of this. This painter says, it doesn't matter what you do to my artwork. It doesn't matter what you add or what you scribble onto what I've already put on the canvas because whatever you do, I'm going to make my picture more beautiful than it ever was. Think about that for a moment. Anybody play chess? Chess players. Okay, good. I got a few of those in the room. You'll understand this one. I'm a wannabe chess player. Okay. I know how to move my pawns back and forth a little bit, but that's probably as, as good as I get. But think about this. It's it's one type of genius for a chess player to make moves and block or attempt to block the moves of their opponent. I mean, that's typically what you do. It's a whole nother level of genius for you to play chess and not care what move they're going to make because in your mind you're thinking, whatever move you make, you're in checkmate. That's a whole nother level of genius. Again, redemption is more powerful than prevention. So I'm going to say it like this for us. This is like us saying, you won't harm me. Versus you saying, do your worst. I'm still going to come out on top. That's a whole different paradigm. That's a shift like no other. To say, yeah, you'll hurt me. That's okay. Versus saying, do your worst. I'm still going to come out on top. Redemption is more powerful than prevention. And so, on the cross, Jesus absorbed 
the full weight of evil and judgment that God had against him. Jesus became the sin that leads to death. He became the curse that infected God's world. Jesus drained all of the venom from the serpent on the cross, and he drank the poison to the very last. He died the death for the wages of sin that was God's verdict, and he did it for me and for you. Amen. But here's the better part. On the third day, the Father raised him from the dead. And now because of the resurrection of Jesus, one day death will be swallowed up in victory. And only God can do this, guys. Only God can do this. Only God can take the brokenness and turn it into blessedness for at all time. Only God can do it. Only God can make blessedness through all of our brokenness. Only God. Guys, Jesus takes our brokenness, and what does he do? He gives us peace. He gives us peace and hope like no other. So whether your brokenness is from your own frailty or your failure, or your brokenness is as a result of the fallen world, guys, as I said earlier, we are still the glory and image bearers of God no matter what. And this is still God's world. Yes, Satan is is the prince of this world. He is ruling this world, but it is still the world that God created, and he will redeem it. And if he'll redeem this world, how much more will he redeem those who he called very good? See, in the sin and suffering, God did not prevent... He is not beyond, and it is not beyond his capabilities for him to redeem all that he did not prevent. In just a moment, I'm going to ask someone to come up here. But see, what God blesses, he will redeem. Now, maybe you don't feel blessed today, but the very fact that you are here means you are blessed. The very fact that you were calling out of your darkness, the very fact that you were calling out of your sin and all of the darkness that was in there laying with you and all of that darkness means you are blessed. Despite your circumstances, despite your situations, you are blessed and God redeems that which he blesses. His blessing will come to pass. Over and again, even though evil is infecting this world, God will bring the creator of all things. He will bring blessing to all who are in him. God is the redeemer that carries the blessing to its fullness and to its completion. I want you to pay attention to this because this is important. And I'm going to ask someone to come up. God did this work of blessing and redeeming. By becoming broken himself. And we miss that in Scripture. God blessed you by becoming broken. In Jesus, the God, the blessed God, became a broken human. So that the broken human might become God-blessed. I want to say that again because I want to drive this point home. The blessed God became a broken human so that the broken human might become God-blessed. I want to sit on that for a moment. 
And while you do, I want to invite up, invite up my son, Alex. Alex, why don't you come on up? Alex is going to um, take a minute, to take a few minutes to, and then I'll come back and close to share uh, a testimony here real quick. We're talking about being broken and being blessed. And so Alex has been um, facing some challenges. And I asked Alex a few weeks ago as I was preparing this message, I asked Alex if he would uh, come up and if he would be willing. It takes, it takes some courage to come up as a 15-year-old to come up in front of 150, 200 people uh, to share, especially to share about your frailty. And so I asked Alex if he would be willing to come up and share about what he's been going through, um, and I didn't want him to be pressured, and I said, I want you to do this if you feel up to it. And so he agreed. But if I can be honest, Alex, the enemy tried to steal the seed this morning because this is what the enemy does. And this is no shame or discredit on Alex, but he didn't want to share this morning. And I said, son, you're going to rob some people of a blessing that you're about to offer them. But I said, I'm not going to force you. It's got to be your decision. And so can we give Alex a round of applause for his bravery? For his uh, courage. All right, Alex, take it away. Thank you, Dad. <clears throat> Good morning. How y'all doing? Some happy faces here. Look at y'all, man. It's a good family. I'm feeling happy. Feeling good. Feeling very good. I'm, uh, I really don't know how to start this. Um, it's kind of scary. Sitting in front of all these people. Ready to tell my story. Every day, I walk through life with a bright white smile on my face. I'm happy. Do I look happy? I look happy? You like this smile? Yeah? Thank you. I'm happy. Dad, I want you to do me a favor. If I could just take this off. There we go. I didn't know what, I don't know what he was going to do. <laughs> this is my mask. I peeled off my mask. I want you to read what it says on the back there. Your, your mask, okay. This is behind my mask. This is behind your mask. Sad, anxious, suicidal, depressed, angry, and broken. Thank you. What else is there to say? That's me. I'm not happy. That's called a mask. Makeup. I put it on every single day. For years, I've been coming to this church. I've been fooling every single one of y'all. I'm convincing, ain't I? I can lie. Ooh, I can lie. It's not a good thing, but I can lie. And I've been lying to y'all. Because I ain't happy. I'm not, I'm upset. I'm angry, I'm torn apart, I'm broken. I've been ashamed of it. 
Thank you. I'm gonna tell y'all a story. So, about a month ago, thank you, Dad. About a month ago, uh, I reached a point, I, I like to call it my, uh, my, my suicidal peak, uh, for all intents and purposes. And um, I was in school, I was in math class, and I just, I felt this dark cloud this is the only way I can describe it. I literally felt this dark cloud form around my body. The scariest feeling ever. I've never felt this before. Form around me, and the only thing I could think about was ending my life. I couldn't think about anything else. It was the scariest thing I've ever experienced. And I sat there, but I had a moment. It was a moment, it was a small moment, I had a moment where I felt like I had to tell somebody, because if not, that was it. So I told my friend Shayla. And when I told her, she went to the office and told the goddess counselors what was going on. So I moved to my next period. I get my papers taken from me, and I get called down to the guidance office. And they tell me, hey, what's going on? I'm terrified, because I told her a lot. I told her everything. I told her how I was feeling, how I was depressed, and how I was suicidal, and how I had a loaded weapon in my room, which I did. Not my proudest moments, but I did. Now, this is an emergency situation in my school. A child has a loaded weapon in their room, and they're thinking about ending their life. So they had to call my parents, and I was scared because this is the moment where I had to tell my parents that I was thinking about ending my life. So they came, and they gave me the choice. They gave me the choice that they would tell them or I would tell them. And I figured, this is my situation. I'm gonna tell my parents. So we walk into the little, uh, the little room that we had, and I started telling them what was going on, and I started talking and I looked at my mom and my mom had tears in her eyes. And I immediately started crying, like I've never cried before. I've been holding in all these tears for all these years and I finally let it go. Now here's why I cried. My mom, years before she got saved. She was, um, in layman terms, she was psycho. She was crazy. Um, <laughs> I, I might. <laughs> but my mom, you know, she, she was a little crazy, and uh, she got, you know, she was diagnosed with a couple psychological disorders, you know, depression, you know, all that stuff. I don't know what it, exactly what it was, but in total, I remember as a kid, I was like five, I remember seeing my mom take 13 different medications. 13. And they were strong, just for her head. And I remember as a kid, I saw that and I was like, man, I could, I could never be depressed. I could, I could never be suicidal or sad. I'm gonna always be happy. I can never go through that. It can happen to anybody. It happened to me. 
real quick, I want to talk about uh, hidden expectations. There's, nobody says it, but everybody knows it. There's this hidden expectations where the pastor's kid is for the most part perfect, you know? Happy, good grades, never really got in trouble. Perfect. And I don't blame people for thinking like that because when I look at pastors, I see warriors of God. I'm standing right next to one. I have one as my father. So why would I have the need to be sad or depressed, suicidal? But here I am. have it anybody so here's my point and here's why I share this with you don't be fooled okay because the person sitting next to you they may look happy maybe they are or maybe they aren't they may be going through a lot you don't know what's going on in their head you have no idea you have no clue. Looks are deceiving. You guys ever heard that before? I'm sure y'all have heard that before. Looks are very deceiving. I'm a handsome guy, okay? I have a good... <laughs> you haven't taught me well. <laughs> but, you know, I, I have a good smile, you know? I put on a good mask, but I'm not happy. So don't be fooled, okay? because the person sitting next to you may be going through it. So even if somebody may look happy, still ask them, hey, you know, are you okay? You all right, how are you feeling? Just ask them, pray for them. Even if somebody's happy, pray for them. You should still be praying for each other no matter what. You could be living the best life, pray. That's what I've been struggling with. I ain't been praying, to be honest. I fell off from God. Ooh, pastor's kid. Fell off from God. Ooh. Ooh. It's no good. But I'm my own person. About to be 16. I'm about to move out. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but that's my point. Just don't be fooled because it may be a mask. They may be pretending. I'm 15. I'm young. I don't know a lot, but apparently I've learned to put on a mask and fake a smile every day. Learn quick. Don't be, don't be deceived. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alex. Um, thank you for not letting the, the enemy uh, rob us all of that blessing of your testimony. We're all broken. And the sooner we acknowledge it, the sooner we embrace it, the sooner we share it, 
the sooner we can move on. See, it's this brokenness that Alex shared that brings us to a place of openness. So as we close today, and I'll ask those who are serving reflective communion if you will come up and prepare. I leave you with this question and a couple remarks. Where is the brokenness in your life? We try to hide it. We act like it's not there, but it is. Whether it's seen or unseen, as in the case of Alex and so many of us, what's broken in your life? If it's from failure or the fallenness of the world, I want you to let your brokenness open you up to the grace of God. It wasn't easy in those moments for us to find a way to help Alex go through what he was going through. But we leaned on God. We had no answers. We knew not what to do next. But we opened ourselves up to the grace and the fullness of God. So I'll pray really quickly. And then we'll be done and we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you for this time today. Thank you for exposing our brokenness, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that when your grace comes rushing in, it never leaves us broken in our sin. Thank you, Lord, that your grace, your mercy heals, restores, it cleanses, and forgives. It makes us new, Father, in ways that are more beautiful than we could ever imagine. Your grace, Lord, is the gold that holds the broken pieces together. So I pray, Lord, that the people who hear the sound of my voice today will let you take their broken lives. Doesn't matter how it was broken, I pray, Lord, today that they place their brokenness in your hands. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, the people of God say, amen.